Welcome to the Telegraph's inaugural It's Our Community podcast, where we talk with local residents, business leaders, nonprofits, and public servants about a variety of topics that impact us all in southern New Hampshire and beyond. Our weekly podcast will release every Friday, with special episodes also scheduled throughout the year. I'm Matt Burdett, the publisher and editor of The Telegraph, and I'll be your weekly host, where it's our goal to present thought-provoking content that will help keep you informed about the goings-on in Greater Nashua, Greater Hudson, and the Sauhegan Valley. So welcome to The Telegraph's inaugural It's Our Community podcast. This week's guest is Nashua Mayor Jim Donches, who joins us to provide updates on pandemic recovery, the return of outdoor dining, the prospective property tax increase, and much, much more. Thank you, Mayor Donches, for joining us today. And getting right down to things and the topic that's on the top of everyone's mind is how is our recovery going from the pandemic? The health department has uh, been a leader in that all the way. Now they are vaccinating people. The uh, on a, uh, based on a allocation of doses that they get and uh, a grant that the city has received to try to reach communities that aren't being fully vaccinated or who are less, uh, both more vulnerable to the disease and less likely to be able to reach a vaccination site, like in the tree streets and elsewhere. Uh, so they've administered hundreds and hundreds of, of, of doses of the vaccine, so I'm very proud of the way the health department has stepped up to this. And we've had so many volunteers that have worked to help. Uh, right now, for example, we have volunteers who help with the vaccination clinics. Uh, Dr. Clementowitz, uh, a retired physician, vaccinates people uh, every week. Uh, but we've had volunteers, United Way and others, that have come forward. Uh, Nashua Transit was involved to deliver over 90,000 meals to kids who are missing out because schools have been closed and they can't get f- lunches or breakfasts at, at school as they normally would. Uh, it just in so many ways, the community has stepped up. So um, we all, of course, want our businesses, we want, to re- we want to return to normal, businesses to reopen, but we also want to keep our uh, community safe and keep our families, our friends, and the entire community safe. So that's the approach we've, uh, we've tried to use. Uh, as I mentioned, one, one um, you know, a group in the community that has been really affected, and I will never, I will always remember how much they've sacrificed, are the small business owners and the people who work there because they've been hit so hard by this with the closures and everything. So we've, we've worked to uh, improve to support our small businesses and save them. Uh, the outdoor dining is an example. We acted very quickly to expand the availability of uh, outdoor dining and uh, make it possible for restaurants and other downtown businesses to survive. 
that was in May of last year. And we started a COVID impact fund to help with grants and loans to support uh, small businesses and nonprofits. They've been hurt as well. So, the, I, I, again, I think the entire community has stepped up and worked together to um, to answer and do everything possible to eradicate and eliminate the pandemic. Uh, perfect. You, you you mentioned schools. Uh, you know, things are starting to, to return a little bit to normal there. Any insight on, you know, perhaps more of a time frame? You know, obviously I know, you know, the situation, they don't want to rush, but – then again, you know that that creates a an altogether new um, hardship on parents. Yes, well, schools. We definitely want the schools to open, and there's no question that the a number of kids have suffered a learning loss during the time when schools have been closed or only partially open. Now we, you know, need to the school department needs to assess the the extent of that, and specifically, hopefully, how how it has affected each child. But we want to open schools safely as well. So the school department has begun to open a, on a hybrid model, one grade at a time. Uh, the governor issued an order uh, s- suggesting that schools really had to open on at least a hybrid basis beginning on March 8th, which is coming up soon. I, I mean, my opinion has been that the way to get schools open as quickly as possible would be to vaccinate the teachers uh, as a high priority. And I advocated some weeks ago that the governor move them up. Uh, in talking with the school department, you know, there are staffing issues. There are teachers who have underlying health conditions and who uh, don't uh, feel um, comfortable in a closed space uh, with even with uh, with students and other and other teachers and. Uh, it's getting subs when a teacher is sick is very difficult. So vaccinating teachers would be the best way to go. And, you know, I, I hope, I wish we had done it already. Now the governor changed his approach in, late yesterday and announced that beginning in a week or so, or 10 days or so, uh, teachers will begin to be vaccinated on a higher priority basis. That's definitely good news. That was definitely a good decision. Massachusetts, Charlie Baker had announced the same thing, I think, the day before. And um, so uh, I'm looking forward to the schools opening. I think the, the vaccinations will really help. Good. And, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about outdoor dining, I know there's been a lot of um, you know, updates on that lately. Uh, is the target still about March the 15th. So our goal is to get the, the, the barriers up by March 15th. So we, we were able to acquire the barriers very cheaply. Uh, the company that put them up last year, we leased them. So we acquired the entire amount for $20,000. Now we still have to pay to get them up, but we do own them now. So um, the outdoor dining was highly successful and just changed downtown and the vibe of downtown in a way that was very positive, very good, and I'm not sure people anticipated how much it would really change things. But when the restaurants were closed through the governor's order in last March, it was, I think, March 16th, uh, you know, we knew we had to act quickly because 
every you know everybody's out of work the businesses are all closed good weather was coming so we everybody really pitched in and we were able to pass the necessary legislation find the barriers and get them erected by early may and what did that do well according to michael buckley the owner of surfs and mts it it saved many of the businesses and but it, it which was great and and provided employment for the people who were able to work downtown it 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 really added to the capacity of a lot of the restaurants in the way that they probably they had more seating really they had more customers than they would have if things had remained the same but what so that was a big boost to those downtown businesses but also for the residents, I mean, people really flocked downtown. The vibe of the of downtown really changed. I mean, our our downtown with a with a main street five lanes wide and a, and and sidewalks that are you know have some width to them, but certainly it could be wider. Uh, they you know it it changed the atmosphere, changed the vibe, made it a much more pedestrian friendly people friendly place and so people enjoyed coming downtown a lot more than they ever had before. So what that taught us is we really need to continue to do that and um so we as I said, we acquired the barriers and we'll be uh seeking to do that by march fifth to get them up by march fifteenth now we're we're trying to improve their appearance uh we they're going up early, so uh, the getting them painted once they're up is logist, you know, is difficult. So what we're trying to do, but I can't guarantee anything yet, is get the get artists to work on them and paint them before they go up, uh, working at the landfill where they're being stored, and then uh, then put them up uh, as they've been decorated by qualified artists. That's a, I, I think that's such an interesting project. I think um, we've seen kind of similar things in maybe Portsmouth and some other places. Post-pandemic, do you see outdoor dining in Nashua continuing? Definitely. And how about, uh, you know, obviously it, it limits parking on Main Street. Is there a plan to make up the revenue that's going to be lost from that every year? Um, or is that just going to be kind of an you know an expected thing from now on? Well, we were certainly impacted in, in terms of lost parking revenue in 2020. Now, in 21, we may be let will be you know will be impacted because Main Street the most of the spaces on Main Street will not be available. But uh, I expect that we will. You know the the level of activity will be generally higher as the as the community as the state begins to return to more of a normal environment. So I think we'll be off, but not as much as we were in 2020. So we don't really know for sure how it's gonna you know how, what the impact will be. But in in um, in in 20, the impact was um, a couple hundred thousand dollars of. Uh, but again, part of that was because the plate, the downtown was absolutely closed for a few months, and so um, I th- again, I think it'll um, be less in this year and the year after. But we are trying to add some spaces in downtown on Main Street and on, on some of the the area around uh, School Street. We think we can, for example, Factory Street. Again, too much, too much pavement there you don't need all those lanes 
on Factory Street. And we demonstrated that by erecting barriers there last last season. We just put up the barriers. Well, let, how does that affect traffic? Where par- a parking lane might be. And no, you know, no one even noticed, you know, because you don't need three lanes going heading uh, west on that street. So we will put parking on the north side of the street. We can add some parking around um, factory and uh, school streets. But overall, there is, I mean, even though the perception is sometimes otherwise, there are thousands of spaces in the downtown. And if you look a little bit, you can always find something. That that seems to be, I think, the main complaint, at least that we heard last year, is just the limitation um, on parking and and convenience for, say, somebody that wants to, you know, visit, um, you know, even Enterprise Bank on the on the corner here on Main Street, or you know, even us as the Telegraph. Um, you know, what what do you kind of say to those people that that are more skeptical about um, blocking off? so much real estate that that the city and the and the downtown and the business community is healthier if we have a a vibrant downtown and to do that you cannot be so autocentric you know you 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 can't just give first priority to cars you know all of the space that we have we can't just give first priority to cars now so we need to work to supplement the parking as much as we can but does it mean that someone might have to walk a couple of blocks yes but if you want to if you want a vibrant downtown that's 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 the trade-off you know so uh, i don't you know people often point out that if someone visits a mall because they can they can see the mall if they're you know a 10 minute walk away from the parking lot or whatever no big deal but a five-minute walk downtown seems like a lot, but we just have to work with people and uh, educate them as to where all the parking is. Like, like for example, sometimes people say, "Well, there's no parking on, you know, in the in the evening." Well, all of these lots are free. No, all, for and this is not well understood. And in fact, a business owner down here told me he had owned a he'd owned a building for 20 years before he really realized that the parking lot in back of his building was in this situation a leased parking spot is only where it says you know leased space this is only leased from 9 to 5 monday through friday after that evenings and weekends it's totally free so you can and there's no meter so say in the lot right down here uh, pearson street you can they're elite, they're, it's not a huge number. That's not a huge lot. But there's probably 20-some spaces in there that are leased. All of that is free, available for anyone to park there after 5 o'clock on weekend, weekdays and all weekend long. Same is true of the Spring Street lot. Now, when I come downtown like um, to go to, say, a restaurant in uh, the evening in good weather, I often park on the Spring Street lot. It's there's a lot of empty spaces. Most of it has a lot of lease spaces in there. You know, daytime again, that's completely free. Same is true in the garages. So there's a lot of free parking around if you, you know, if you sort of have a little bit of education as to where to go. No, that's uh, that's actually interesting. I didn't even you know realize that. Well, uh, here's what happened. So. Um, it was Rich Land, and I don't think he would mind if I mentioned him. He he owns the building, you know, where um, Pampanusic Mills, the former Sears, 
And I think it was when either shortly before I became mayor or right after, maybe short, he said to me, I never realized, I've owned this thing, I've owned the building for 20 years. I never really realized that you could park in those spaces, uh, the lease spaces, uh, after five and on weekends for free. I never really realized, even though the building's right, even though the parking lot's right in the back of my building. And I said, I never knew that either. You know, and I think I was on the board. So, yes, there is a sign that says that. But, you know, it's people, um, I think, are just a little, that's how I was, kind of a, well, I, you know, I th- you know can I park in a lease space? Uh, am I going to get towed? So if, you, if we just can uh, help people understand where these spaces are available, I think people will find that uh, the parking is very available. Now, again, in terms of daytime, downtown, uh, someone wants to go to the bank, um, certainly um, the fact that there are less spaces on Main Street um, is a factor, but we'll just work to try to make uh, parking as available as we can. Um, learning from last year, um, any tweaks to the you know, design of where the barriers are going to be placed for, for the outdoor dining? Well, we're going to decorate them, we hope. Uh, I think in terms of their location, it's – I mean, we're always working on it. I mean, but it'll be basically the same. Basically the same. Um, one of the biggest concerns that we really hear from from quite a few Nashuans, um, you know, especially lately, is the um, you know increase in property taxes. Um, talk a little bit about that, and you know, is the city looking at different ways to maybe potentially lower um, the tax burden? Well, the the hardworking of tax taxpayers of Nashua certainly de- de- deserve the lowest tax rate we can possibly deliver. Um, now, looking back for the last four or five years, we've averaged about two and a half percent. In the last two years, the the, the tax rate went up two point six percent and three point nine for a total of a little over six six and a half. Ha- most, you know, the, a, a large proportion of that was due to the increase in healthcare costs. So uh, that healthcare costs went up in over those two years, up six million dollars, which amounts to three percent on the tax rate. So of the six and a half percent, three percent was related to six and a half percent tax increase over the last two years. Three percent of that was due to the rising healthcare costs. So we developed a plan to which is working to reduce the rate of increase in the healthcare costs by reforming the HMO offering by encouraging people to enter the to to elect an option that has always been available the medical savings plan which i you know the details i could explain but and third encouraging uh, the use of smart shopper and some other things that encourage economy um, so I think we've, we're beating the, the rising health care costs. But what's happening now? Two, I think there are two things that are problematic. First of all, the state has just slammed the city with uh, 11 point, an eight, almost a $12 million hit uh, on property taxes. So what they've done is they, a few months ago, notified the city that our pension bill is going up by $4.4 million, over and above any increase in wages. Um, 
And then they have notified us that school aid is going to be down 7.4%, 7.4 million, excuse me, from last year. So if you put those two things together, the $4.4 million hit on the pension and the $7.4 million uh, hit on the education, uh, that's eleven, you know, almost $12 million. That translates into a 5.5% tax increase before we even get to the city budget. Um, so we're being hit by the state at, a, at a absolutely the wrong time. Now, this has been going on for decades. You know, there's any issues at the state. They do things to raise property taxes and then kind of take the position, oh, no new taxes. Well, there are new taxes. Uh, you've raised property taxes yet again. And I could give uh, many examples of you know, the freezing of the rooms and meals tax, the freezing of the, of the revenues from the rooms and meals tax the, to cities and towns, freezing of the revenue sharing. So what, so, uh, what are we doing? Well, I've given – well, another challenge is a disagreement that, that I think uh, pretty fundamentally that the Board of Aldermen and I have had over the last few years – because I have said, look, we can't agree to long-term agreements, long-term commitments that exceed the cost of living while we're facing these these rising health care costs and while we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, because we are building unsustainable budgets that mean you either have to raise taxes or cut services. Now, what specifically am I talking about? Well, um, in two th- a couple of years ago, in the... Um, or in, in, in 2019, uh, the police department came forward with raises of 11 and 12 percent. And I said, well, I, you know, OK, people deserve a raise, but we should limit that to the cost of living. And because we are in the at that point, these health care costs are going crazy. So we need to while we're do, and that's an employee benefit. You know, I mean, that's going to the employees. So. Uh, I appreciate our police officers. They do a great job, but they're already pretty well paid compared to other police officers around New Hampshire, and we should limit raises to the cost of living or not make long-term commitments. Board of Aldermen disagreed. I vetoed a contract. They overrode it on a one-sided vote. Then it came up again with the fire department. So the um, now we're in the middle of a pandemic, and we've been now hit with a $12 million hit from the state of New Hampshire, um, the fire department comes forward with a 15.5% raise. And I say, well, you know, we, this, we can't afford this. This is not sustainable. Um, the Board of Aldermen um, passed the raise without the health care session, concession on HMOs we're getting from all of the other uh, employee groups and unions, the one that's helping us limit uh, increases in the rate of health care. So even without that, 15.5% raise. So I veto the contract and overridden 10 to 3. So, you know, I think this has been a mistake because I think it means, I mean, now what? The fire department's budget has to go up 4 or 5% again? Um, where are we going to get that money? Uh, you know, um, so uh, that has, I think, is an underlying problem as well. So what I have done this year is I've given guidelines to the, the majority of departments that they should come in at zero. Um, now, we have departments, many, uh, the big ones are independently run. So 
Um, and we've got the Board of Aldermen that needs to pass a budget. But these are the guidelines I've asked for. I've asked for, uh, and, and the school department a little more just because of this whole learning loss thing. But, um, but we are, and I've said this is for City Hall as a whole, we're going to try to try to achieve that goal. Uh, all to save money to try to limit this tax increase. Uh, the, we, we eliminated a couple of senior positions in City Hall about a week ago. Uh, to save money. Uh, we'll save about $300,000 because of that. But I'm looking to the other departments to take steps to uh, make sure these budgets don't go up too much. Um, but the Board of Aldermen will need to back me up on that, and we'll see. The The New Hampshire model is, is I think, a, a great model with no income tax. Um but there comes a point in, uh, in in time where there's a breaking point with property taxes. Correct. Do you think that trade-off's worth it? Do you think that the state, not that I would suggest it, but that should look at some kind of a, a, a small income tax? Um, or is there another way to preserve one of the things that's iconic about the Granite State yet still – give people a little bit of property tax relief. One thing the state should not do is reduce their current revenue sources. So what's going on right now? Uh, The governor has proposed a $50 million cut in the business enterprise tax. Okay, this is, there aren't that many taxes at the state level, right? So to the extent you cut the ones you, you have, I mean, that's the, that's what you, you've got to have some taxes uh, at the state level, uh, otherwise, you're going to rely totally on the property tax. So two-thirds of state and local taxes paid in New Hampshire are property taxes, the highest in the nation. So um, right now, the cities and towns are being hit by the same thing Nashville is being hit by, increases in pension costs from the state as well as re- reduction in proposed school aid. If you've got $50 million dollars, what should you do with it? Should you give it to big business, Walmart, through a reduction in the business enterprise tax? Or should you make good on your promises to the cities and towns or try to make partially good on the promises and help them keep these property taxes down? Now, the judgment being made at the state level is, well, they'd rather have pro- – I mean, they're not going to say this, but the reality is we'd rather have property taxes go up and give a, a – a cut to big business. That's what we'd rather have it that way. Now they're not going to say that explicitly, but if you look at the policy at, at the proposals, that's really what's behind it. Um, so the state should not be, uh, I, I, you know, in my opinion, it should not be uh, cutting taxes for big business and raising property taxes on senior citizens, you know, and that's what's going on. Right. I think there's a breaking point, you know, at at one time where folks aren't, they can't afford their property taxes. Uh, I, I, they're exactly. absolutely astronomical. And when you see those increases year after year after year after year, uh, it, it gets disheartening. And, and I think honestly could get to a point where New Hampshire would be a less attractive place to settle down and and grow a family well and it's a tax that hits kind of people the senior citizens and people with limited incomes much harder so you know for 
a senior who's got, you know, a decent income, but uh, still, you know, is uh, watching the pennies pretty carefully, um, you know, paying a six or $8,000 property tax bill might be 20% of their income, 10% of their income, whatever. For someone who makes a million, you know, works for whatever, you know, makes a, makes a $500,000, uh, paying a $10,000 property tax bill is not that difficult. So, um, it, it just hits the people who have limited incomes much, much, much harder. And that's one problem with the property tax. Um, but, you know, we, we, we just can't cut taxes, property taxes, um, drastically, uh, given what's happening at the state level especially, because where does this money go? It goes to keep police on the street teachers in schools. I mean, it's mostly goes to payroll. And so layoffs, you know, laying off firefighters, laying off police, laying off teachers, this, you know, that's not good for the community either. So, I mean, what we're really looking for, at least I am, is the state to be some kind of partner in trying to manage this property tax situation. I mean, what did I, what do I mean by when I say broken promises? Well, when Nashua and the other cities and towns en- entered the city pension, the state pension system. the The incentive was, we'll always pay thirty five percent of your pension costs. Okay, that seemed like a good deal. Now this is decades ago. Uh, seems like a good deal. Okay, we'll get in the system. Um, now, a few years back, the state cut back on that, and then reduce that 35% to zero. So they make no contribution, despite the 35% promise. Now, what does that cost Nashua? Just that one broken promise. To date, $74 million. Now, that is a lot of cash that property taxpayers here, just in this city, have come up with to help the state because they broke that promise. Number two, um, the rooms and meals tax. Deal was, rooms and meal tax would go forty percent to cities and towns. That was the basis. That's that's the that's the promise. That was the law, the law. It wasn't just a promise. The law. Um, well, the state decided to change that law. So now, for some years, revenues have been frozen at levels from years ago. Right. The, so, um, so the the rooms and meals tax. The freezing of that rooms and meals tax has cost national taxpayers $34 million. And there's revenue sharing, same deal. Um, so when the state needs money, they, they, you know, it's, it, we're, this distribution is based on a law, but they just change the law. They just change the rules. So um, if you look at what's happened over time, you can see that the, many decisions have been made at the state level to raise property taxes and um, uh, and maybe cut business enterprise tax, you know, things like that. So um, the state has not been a good partner. The state has consciously made decisions which have raised property taxes and I think tries to avoid responsibility for that by just saying, oh, well, no new taxes. We didn't add any taxes. Now, they cut back revenues to cities and towns, which raises property taxes, but no one mentions that much at the state level. Right. I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. And, you know, those those increases add up, and, and you're exactly right. 
you know, it, you know, hits the seniors and people on limited income so much more than, than you or I or, or your average, average person. Um, so hopefully, you know, the state can kind of, um, get a handle on that and, and not that I would ever expect property taxes to go down, but at least hold them, you know, in a pattern for a few years to, you know, let everything catch back up. Um, one of the other things we wanted to uh, touch on is the art center. There's been a lot of activity outside of the art center. I think some of the utility work has has started. Um, kind of bring us up to date on you know where things stand. Maybe a time frame of of when we'll actually see some you know brick and mortar um, things going on. So the um, uh, demolition of the the front of the building, the walls of the low the the section that was built in the '60s. Um, will begin within the next couple of months. And construction should be done in the summer or fall of 2022, next year. But the Art Center is, the Performing Arts Center is a project that will benefit everyone. And the reason I say that is, first it will, I mean, it is designed, yes, to provide entertainment, but to bring tens of thousands of people downtown to who will help patronize small businesses, build a stronger downtown economy, but also to attract private investment into the downtown, which will build a stronger tax base and increase tax revenues. Keep in mind that the downtown generates already more more property taxes than it requires in services by far. The quarter mile that quarter square mile right around Main Street, including the, the mill yard uh, on both sides of the river, generates about $6 million in taxes. Now, there's no way that that level of services is required down here. Very, school, very few school kids, some, but not many, uh, compared with a, you know, a neighborhood. Um, and in addition... Garbage is all commercial. You pay for your own garbage. The city's not picking up your garbage, right? Um, and you know, plowing, police, fire, whatever. But it's just, but but uh, the the services are not uh, very expensive in terms of servicing the downtown. So it is generating taxes that are supporting services, schools, fire, police, and all the neighborhoods. It's, it's, it's helping to pay for that, not sucking money uh, you know, out, away from neighborhoods. So it helps the neighborhoods. We need to build a stronger tax base and get private investment because we, we have not seen a lot of private investment in the downtown for a long time. Uh, for example, when was the last time an apartment project was built in the downtown from ground up. Hundred years, maybe the de- downtowner on uh, Chestnut Street there, um, around 1900. So, um, the down the Performing Arts Center is already attracting private investment. So, f- what am I? What do I mean? Well, we've now got the first time. Someone is investing in a ground-up construction, apartments, housing, which we need anyway, in the downtown on School Street. Uh, the, idea, the, 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 the project will add 150 units of downtown housing. We'll 
the the, the residents will help the the businesses down here will help provide patrons, but that project will pay uh, uh, $400,000 in property taxes. And will house, will be sent, you know, will help uh, us attract millennials. There'll be smaller units and that kind of thing. $400,000. The builder there, whose name is Peter Floats, done some work in Manchester, but from out of state, he said, the reason I got interested in Nashua is because of the perform. I know I learned about the Performing Arts Center. So there's four hundred thousand dollars. Now the annual cost of the Performing Arts Center is around a million. Um, we will attract more private investment as a result of the Performing Arts Center, and in the end, before too long, uh, it will pay for itself. It will have attracted more private investment, more tax dollars will gen- be generated than it costs because people will seek to uh, invest here because the, of, of, of what the Performing Arts Center represents, a more vibrant downtown, a city that's investing in itself, uh, a, a, just a, a place where people want to live in the downtown. So uh, in the end, it will pay for itself. Therefore, it benefits everyone. Any um, you know, other projects that's that's come into the city because of the art center or is that something that you're actively well yes of course well i i mean we will see if we you know once we make the school street thing successful we'll you know that same builder has said well i, w- I would like to do another project um so we're looking at for where that could happen and i i'm pretty optimistic that we could make that happen but we we see small changes for example just this week empanelli's opened a, new, an, a restaurant small business but an entrepreneur nelson mercado he opened, owns a barbershop now he owns two small it's two businesses downtown but you build down, downtown you know storefront by storefront he built it in an empty storefront he says the reason i did this was because of the performing arts center so we will see positive changes as a result of this and again i'm saying that uh it will certainly provide entertainment and that's definitely a good thing it will but it will bring people in definitely a good thing but even for someone who never goes there it will help us build a stronger economy a stronger tax base and in the end increase tax revenues how about for those people that that are on the fence or against the art center especially one of their concerns is doing all of this not that you know, two years ago, we knew the pandemic was coming, but doing all this during a pandemic. Well, the we the art center will open uh, after we are back to a more normal environment. I mean, I think uh, you know, I'm optimistic that certainly in 2022, by the fall, we'll be back to something where uh, you know, outdoor venues and indoor venues are open and active and. Therefore, uh, you know, we can make the Performing Arts Center a success despite the pandemic. Now, it's good it's not opening now, but it's not, you know. Right. What, what, what's, the, what's the price tag for the Arts Center up to now? So the, um, the total cost is around $25 million. We 
met the condition of obtaining $4 million of outside money. So the cost of the city is around $21 million. I think sometimes people think that that has a bigger impact on the budget than it does. Uh, first of all, the cost of debt service, principal and interest on that $21 million is $1 million. But it's not, you know, people have the idea that it, the, the city budget is $280 million. So um, secondly, we pay about $16 million dollars out of the 20, 280 million in total in debt service, out of the general budget paid for by property taxes. Um, that's schools, that's city buildings, $16 million. So what is that, you know, 6 or 7%? But we pay off probably 12, 13 million, depending on the year, 12 or 13 million a year. Um, so taking on debt of 21 after a couple, you know, the, the it doesn't, for example, the fiscal 21 budget current year the the uh, the capital the um bonded indebtedness budget the amount being paid for principal interest interest we're not even going to have to raise it next year even though the art center is coming online because we're paying off some other debt because we've gotten some pretty good uh rates on the bonds things like that so um it it really won't have a big impact on property taxes and as i've already said we will bring in the private investment that will offset any cost that uh, it does require. How about other projects that are kind of coming up? You mentioned the um, you know, apartment uh, complex. Um, well, in, we, of course, we have a, a housing need. Affordable housing is a big is a big uh, issue. Housing shortage. The, the Vacancy rate is less than 1%, especially for smaller units, believe it or not. Those have gone up more than the rest of the market. So one-bedroom one studios have gone up in the last five years more than larger apartments. Probably because we have younger people who would like to maybe live alone in a studio, one-bedroom, uh, and others who, you know, smaller families and the like. So, um, uh but housing is a housing shortage is an issue now. In terms of uh, strictly affordable housing, we are working with the housing authority to try to add units to Bronstein. Currently, forty-eight units. Uh, the housing authority is working with Boston Capital and with the city to try to redevelop the site and make it a total of around two hundred units, not forty-eight. Now, uh, that will help in terms of of affordable housing. Uh, we um, need to make sure that the people who live there now are guaranteed to come back with a equal or better apartment when they you know when the, the project is done. And certainly some of the details still need to be worked out, but it, but I think that project will go ahead. Um, and uh, so there are and there, and we're working with uh, various trying to work with working with various people to try to in, improve the supply of housing, which I think we can do. We have added about 500 units of downtown housing in the last four or five years, uh, and I think we can do that again in the next four or five. Um, the we did add an affordable housing project on Marshall Street, a private private developer. 
uh, we've approved a project on Temple Street at the former Corvo Ruthier site. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, that project hasn't gone forward yet. But other things that I think will make a positive impact are we want to make sure that people can, to, to, we want to highlight and enhance the riverfront that we have. I mean, Nashua, when you, you know, is a river city, actually. We have a, we have a river, we, the namesake for the city is the Nashua River, uh, and that's what brought the people here to begin with, was the water power that created the mills, which created Nashua. And it is a very beautiful body of water. So we have a riverfront master plan, and which was adopted a couple, two or three years ago, and we uh, have passed a tax increment financing district, so-called a state-authorized approach, that will that captures the new value created around the river as development occurs. Uh, for example, Lost Thirty Four, and will reinvest that money around the river. So the riverfront master plan. Uh, is beginning to be implemented. Uh, the cotton transfer bridge will be lighted uh, this spring, and there'll be some uh, more lighting along the river walk, especially north of the uh, west of the bridge, Main Street Bridge, north north side. Uh, but in design, our suspended walkways, like the one around Peddler's Daughter, for the other th- corners of the Nashua uh, Bridge. Uh, and uh, docking, boat docking, things like this, and an improved Renaissance Park, which will make the river just a, you know, a, a better place for people to go and a and a and a improve the way people can enjoy it. Now, will that that makes that too will build a stronger tax base. I mean, we just want to make an area of the city where there's been underinvestment, meaning not a lot of private capital put in over a long period of time. Um, uh, uh, that is an opportunity that the city has to um, increase tax revenues and improve, build a stronger economy overall. I've been committed to this for a long time. I mean, when I was mayor before, we put we got clock tower in by getting federal with federal grants, which are no longer available. But uh, that took getting two significant federal grants to get clock tower. But that was those were like abandoned mills in kind of you know in very deteriorating condition now we've been able to do that with clock with lofts 34 um which was again a, just a wreck um the old national court mill before that renovation uh and then a few years ago the cotton trans the um uh cotton mill square project was done uh so we are seeing so we're getting we've been getting investment in that regard these conversions. Now those are easier projects than from the ground up because the structure is there and because there are very significant tax incentives historic tax credits to which 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 um support and provide uh capital for these renovation projects where you're doing historic preservation. I think it's 40% of the investment you get as a credit. Um, so, but, so a ground-up project is a lot more difficult to do because you don't, you don't have that kind of um, 
uh, tax credit support. Uh, that's why you've seen all the conversions occur before a ground, you know, a, a uh, from the ground up project like the one on School Street. Any um, update on the Daniel Webster College situation? Well, one thing we're doing, which this rem- your question reminds me of, is we're in the midst of a master plan. Imagine Nashville. We're asking residents to participate, so I'll give my pitch for that. You know, you should. Everybody should get on their on the website and give your input regarding the future of the city, your vision for the city. Help us with this. But one of the parcels we're we're looking at as part of the master planning process is the Daniel Webster College. Now this is owned by a private party in China who does not really have, I don't think, a realistic uh, understanding of you know what might work there. So that's been an issue. But we would like to, in, in terms of the master plan, to you know, create uh, with citizen participation, and there's going to be a meeting specifically on that parcel, I believe, on April 6th, virtual, but still we're trying to get people uh, involved in that. Um, well, let's create a vision for that parcel that maybe we can convince the person in China, the owner, to try to work on it in that direction uh, rather than just leave it there, um, you know, kind of unused and deteriorating. Some of it went to Southern New Hampshire University, the, the kind of the two buildings on the airport side of University Drive. That was great because they're running an aer- aeronautics uh, engineering program out of there. But, I mean, what we'd really hope for is for Southern New Hampshire University to buy the whole thing, which they were interested in doing, but they were outbid by the guy in China. Now, it was sold out of a bankruptcy sale. You know, it was a bankruptcy sale done in Indiana uh, where the parent company that owned Daniel Webster was called ITT, filed for bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy judge, bankruptcy court auctioned auctioned it off, the um, the eventual winner of the, of the you know the highest bidder bid more than twice what Southern New Hampshire University was willing to pay. So he paid twelve and a half million dollars. Uh, they were, I think, in the four to five million dollar range. And uh, you know, it would be nice if they got it, but they didn't. Now, uh, but the owner has not been able to do anything with it. Much contact with the owner you know, really. through the city is not the, really. you know, have they I mean, um, no, caught no. up on their property taxes? Well, they're behind right now, but it it uh, and they filed an abatement application. But the you know it takes a long time for there to be kind of any kind of city taking because of, it takes years. You have to not not pay for years for the city to be able to take property as a result of non-payment of taxes. Now it. When someone doesn't pay taxes, like a big commercial owner like that, there's a benefit, which is that the interest rate that accrues on that uh, by state law is pretty it's, it's fairly high, um, you know, eight percent or so. So, you know, we eventually get the money with interest, but right now uh, he's behind. Um, how about um, you know? There's been a lot of focus on the tree streets. Um, Projects over there continuing this year. 
Yeah, well, well, COVID has to some degree interfered with things. Um, certainly the PAL renovation is a, is a big boost to the tree streets. PAL is a great organization, Police Athletic League on Ash Street, is a great organization for the tree streets. Uh, we're working with NeighborWorks to do a couple of smaller, um, affordable, quality housing projects. One city sold um, a property we did acquire through non-payment. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's 38 and a half Kinsley Street. Uh, we sold that, and it was a, just a complete slum, to a NeighborWorks, and they have... Uh, they're constructing right now four units, and they're a very good owner. They're, I mean, they, you know, if they owned all the units, that'd be great, you know. But they take very good care of the units. They're really good to the tenants. Uh, they are building um, uh, four, and it's a nonprofit. That's a nonprofit housing centered pretty much in Manchester. But uh, they're building four units on Kinsley Street. They've they've just added two units at the corner of Pine and Central. So we're working with them whenever we can. One project that we ran in the tree streets that was to try to engage the neighborhood, which is less engaged with the city than some other neighborhoods, uh, was a uh, your choice, uh, your voice, your choice project. So we put a little bit of money up uh, two years ago, and we couldn't do it in 2000. This would, so this would be 2019. Couldn't do this in 2020 because of COVID. But we put a little money up, and we said – and we, we reached out, and PAL helped us, NeighborWorks, others, police department, and we said, well, look, let's, come, let's, let's get, generate ideas from the neighborhood as to how they would like us to invest this $25,000 was the amount. And we came up with around 10 proposed projects, which were, uh, you know, the, the, the direction, the kind of the, the conception of those projects was assisted by city staff, stuff that could uh, be accomplished within the $25,000 goal, right? And uh, after the 10 projects were developed, we uh, put them up for a vote, and hence your, your choice. We... And anybody in the neighborhood could come and vote, and uh, you know several hundred people voted. And the project that emerged was a so-called futsal court across from Ash, across from Pal, which is a small enclosed soccer court, soccer field, but a but a but on asphalt with with fence. And but it is a good a good thing for kids. Urban, you know, in a more urban environment, it's a way to play soccer. And uh, that was the project that was chosen that was the project that went forward and that got built now we wanted to do another one of those but again in in uh in um 2020 we couldn't you know because it requires you know people to come into pal and get together and vote and talk about these projects it that cannot be done remotely so we couldn't do it in 2020 and i don't know 2021 i'm not sure but we we um we need to continue to reach out and try to draw the tree streets into the city and vice versa as much as we can. Uh, we are running that the vaccination clinic at uh, St. Louis. We're running, you know, public health is running the B 
because the neighborhood, the people down there are less or more vulnerable to COVID-19 and also less inclined to be vaccinated. So we're trying to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, we, that we're seeing equality in vaccination so that uh, people in the tree streets can and will get vaccinated. Great. Um, you know, kind of in closing, any any thoughts? Um, you know, anything that you want to pass on to the to the residents of Nashua? Well, I'm very optimistic about Nashua's future, and I think we have great potential. Uh, you know, downtown. Uh, we're still working on rail. Another thing that would be a big project, big, big step forward for Nashua. But we have we have great potential. The people are. Uh, work together very well. Right. So I think we can really move the city, continue to really move the city forward. Uh, and I just you know, would thank everybody for all their involvement, all the boards and commissions, all the volunteers that have worked so hard during the pandemic. Uh, the community spirit has been great. And uh, I'm optimistic that we can just, uh, you know, keep it going. And as we emerge from the pandemic, that we can you know, build an even stronger community. As we wrap up this week, I'd like to thank Nashua Mayor Jim Donches for being a part of the inaugural It's Our Community podcast, brought to you by The Telegraph, 110 Main Street, downtown Nashua, New Hampshire. Next week, we welcome Judy Porter from the Nashua Senior Activity Center, where we will talk about programs offered at the center, how the hike in property taxes is impacting local seniors, and the center's new podcast, Successful Aging.